It is such a delight to introduce Cheryl Miles, my friend and former co-worker, to all of you. Cheryl is a social worker for over 30 years. Uh, currently, she serves as the Director of Permanent Housing Services at Good Samaritan Services, a local ministry which merged with Bridge of Hope, Lancaster, and Chester Counties in 2017. This is a ministry of, that our congregation has supported in many, for many years, both through our finances and with uh, volunteer mentoring groups. Cheryl describes herself as a child of the Most High, a servant leader, a compassionate neighbor, and a good friend. She lives in Glen Mills, which is at the edge of Chester County, with her husband of 33 years, and they are the proud parents of two adult sons. This scripture from Isaiah 56.6 guides Cheryl's life. Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? To loosen the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke. Cheryl's ultimate desire is to be a vessel that God can use here on earth until she is called home to be with him. In her message this morning, she will guide us to encounter Jesus through the eyes of a Samaritan. We are eager to hear what the Lord has brought you to say to us today, Cheryl. Please join me in prayer. God of the known and unknown, we lift your servant Cheryl to you. Release all anxiety or tension within her. Bless her with your freely flowing spirit. Give her courage and compassion to boldly share the things you have laid on her her heart. And for us, the hearers, open our minds to receive new insights about our complex human family. Seep into our hearts, O God, an unshakable resolve to acknowledge and undo the injustices of racism. Through our sister Cheryl, remind us that old and young, from every color, creed, and country, whether we dress in poor rags or finest riches, we are all branches of your one eternal life. In the strong name of Jesus, who dismantled racism at the well, we pray. Amen. Bless you, Cheryl. Thank you. Good morning. Thank you to Pastor uh, Samantha and Kate for the invitation to share the word with you today. On behalf of Good Samaritan Services, I would like to express our appreciation and gratitude for your partnership in ministry. Through your prayers, through your support, through your financial contributions, and through your mentorships, we have been able to, to begin to end homelessness in our community. So I just want to thank you. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Break me, melt me, mold me, and fill me. 
Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on me. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Break us, melt us, mold us, fill us. Spirit of the living God, fall fresh on us. Lord, let help me to decrease as you increase your word through me. Lord, let your message be received in the spirit of love as it empowers us to move towards justice and peace. As you heard, my name is Cheryl, and my full name is Cheryl Rembrandt Miles. I am the oldest of three daughters. My parents are Julia and William Rembert. My father is from the rural area of Pineville, South Carolina. My mother is from Charleston, South Carolina. My parents met, they married, and they relocated to West Philadelphia to start a family. My mother worked as a lunchroom aide and supervisor, and my father worked as a foreman for a loading dock. We attended First African Baptist Church in South Philadelphia. My siblings and I were educated in the Philadelphia public schools. We were selected in middle school to be a part of a college prep program that took us through high school. I graduated from Westchester University with an undergrad in social work and a master's degree from the University of Penn. I married my college sweetheart. We raised, we had an opportunity to um, move to outside of Philadelphia as a benefit of his job. We raised two handsome <laughs> young men educated through the Westchester School District and they are now pursuing their edu- college education and careers. I served in the human service field for most of my working career as a director of services, a, um, a direct service worker, a therapist, a supervisor, a pro- program coordinator, and director of services. I served on advisory boards, county task force groups, community organizations. I've also had the awesome opportunity to be able to come before groups like you to be able to teach and share my experiences. When I think about the goodness of the Lord, all I can do is praise him. That's a snapshot of my life. Sounds pretty good, huh? But what does it have to do with the story about the Samaritan woman at the well? What does it have to do with racism? Funny you should ask. In my preparation for this message, I read John 4 over and over again. I found myself drawn to the Samaritan woman as a member of a race hated by another. I know that we have behaviors that can cause us to be enemies of God and others. However, there are times when it's when it's just the color of one's skin that creates conflict, fear, division, hatred, and in extreme cases, death between groups. I'd like to take this time, a few minutes, to be able to talk about my Samaritan experience and the, experience, and the significance of Jesus' encounter. Both of my parents raised in the South are two generations removed from slavery. This means that their great-grandparents, my great-great-grandparents, were slaves. Slavery has been illegal for 153 years. 
However, the negative influence of the slavery culture mentally and behaviorally still exists. My parents lived under the tyranny of the Jim Crow law for most of their formative years. Racism, the systematic oppression of a race, of one race by another in power, was very visible and accepted as a norm in the South. Many white communities refused to recognize the values, worth, rights, and contributions of their black neighbors. My parents wanted more for their family. They decided to move up to the North for a better life. I thank God every day for my, for the life that God has enabled us to have through my parents. It was not until I was in college that I recognized the extent of which my parents sheltered us from the harshness of racism that they had hoped to escape when they came, when they left from the South. See, in the South, racism was blatant in your face. In the North, it was more explicit, implicit, excuse me. Racism was, and in some ways still, intricately woven into public law, policies, and practices that are not visible to the unsuspecting eye. It's hard to prove. This can be dangerous, damaging, and deadly if allowed to continue. So let's look a little closely at that snapshot that I presented to go beyond the surface and to understand the prevalence of racism and the impact that it had on my life and on my community. I grew up in a black community. I attended a black school and worshiped at a black church. Most people would say, well, what's wrong with that? Don't people want to live, play, worship with their own people? The answer is yes. However, as a black American, you didn't have a choice as to where you could live or purchase a home. Banks unknown to its customers had a red line policy that denied black families opportunities to be able to live where they choose to. The black, the banks would only approve mortgages for specific areas. The the neighborhoods were generally predominantly black in poorer sections of this town with limited access to supermarkets, banks, employment, medical care, and adequate schools. Or areas where white residents after mass exited from the city to the suburbs were allowed to move in those areas. In many cases, black homeowners even struggled to get a home loan to be able to make repairs. Many of the neighbors would tend to have, many of the neighborhoods would tend to have high ratio of renters than other communities. And renting is not the problem. Not everybody wants to be a homeowner. The problem is absentee landlords. Landlords who didn't live in the community. Landlords who didn't invest in the community. And they didn't take care of their properties. You know, the, the term slumlord. Yet they faithfully collected their overpriced rent and was quick to, event, to, quick to evict for non-payment of rent. 
the inability to obtain, maintain, and sustain housing, and insufficient stock of affordable housing leads to housing instability and homelessness. Homelessness begins the instability of family and community. Undress instability leads to chaos. I love the idea of going to school in my neighborhood. I enjoyed walking back and forth to school with my friends. I was honored to be chosen for the college prep program in middle school. However, I did not realize until I graduated that only 60% of my school's senior class graduated, and only 30% of those had plans to go to college. My husband, who actually went to the same middle school that I did, um, often tells a story about how he found out about the college prep program through uh, a former a t- a teammate. He had always aspired to go to college and did not realize that he did not have all of the courses and the qualification or criteria to be able to um, be accepted in the college. He recognized that and then began to advocate for himself. He also realized that had he not made that had, had fi- made that finding and advocated, he would have been on a very different course in his life as far as career. Why were there only a few selected for this program? College is not for everyone, but what were the other choices and options that were given to other students um, to prepare them for the workforce? Everyone has potential. It might have been a different, it might have made all the difference in the high dropout rate at my school. I also noticed that while participating in various sports teams, we were, that we played against our white schools, their buildings were beautiful, clean, the water fountains worked. The classrooms were fully stocked and with and, and had equipment. The cafeteria, the library, the gymnasium, and the athletic fields were things dreams were made of. Education prepares one to be a protect, productive member of society. It was very clear that educational institution funded black and school, white schools differently. A community that does not invest in their students while they're in school will pay for them later in the criminal justice system. Philadelphia was one of the most, has one of the most significant records of mass, inc- of mass incarceration of black men in the country. Unemployment was high in the community. Black men who worked, who were working, made 75%, and black women who were working made 60% less of a dollar than their counterpart doing the same job. My parents paid the same price for food, utilities, and clothing as their as a white counterpart, yet their earning capacity and their buy-in power was less. Blacks were continually denied opportunities for advancements in, man- in management roles or leadership positions. I remember my father complaining. He would come home very frustrated because they would they seem to always be hiring young um, white men for that particular role 
who didn't have the much experience that he had in that position. The feeling of mistrust was very high in the black community of of the white um, population. And if you had a criminal record, it was almost impossible to get employment. Blacks were more likely to be arrested, incarcerated, than their counterpart who conducted the same crime. Criminal activity begets incarceration, which begets no jobs or unemployment, which begets more criminal activity, which begets more incarceration, which begets broken homes, which begets a stressed community. We all, as we a people experience, as we, we as a people experience injustice daily, the educational system denied to provide quality education for all of its students. The financial, stu- the financial institutions restricted access to, to equ- uh, equitable wealth for consumers based on the color of their skin. The workforce refused to ensure equal pay and advancement for, for deserving employers. And the health institution failed to provide adequate and appropriate health care for its black community. There is, and this was and still is, racism at its best. And all of these institutions are governed by the race in power. And here in the United States, it is the white race. The the system practices were in our fertile grounds for helplessness, hopelessness, depression, substance abuse, violence, and self-hatred. The continued impact, the continued impact of this atmosphere is toxic, tra- traumatizing, brain-altering, and life-draining. Even now, as my husband and I, who are considered middle class, we still experience a impact of racism, because it's very prevalent. My husband works for a, at a, a, a juvenile delinquent residential center where 90% of the students there are African American. What are we doing as a society to divert them from the fast track into prison? I worry about my sons as they're traveling. They're out of the house now. You never know what they're doing. You hope they're safe. But I have an extra worry because I'm hoping that while they're traveling black, that they will not be unharmed, that they will not be harmed or murdered. My job, my call, and my ministry is to help those in need. And I find that the population that I am um, primarily serving in the most one of the most wealthiest counties in the um, in the in the state that also happens to be white. The population is, is black, disproportionate to the population that they live in. Yet the services provided are directed and governed by the white middle class population, which has failed to acknowledge and address the root cause that affects people in need. Yes, my, the snapshot of my life looks good, but it's also stressful. It's a burden. It stirs up at times, anger and resentment. And if it goes unchecked, 
before, if it goes unchecked, it could become all-consuming. Thank God for a Jesus encounter. The Samaritan woman goes to the well to get water. Water is essential for life, to drink, to cook, to wash, to clean. She goes at a time where she hopes no one sees her. She's tired. She's beat down from her personal demons, as well as struggles in her own community. And then a complicated to be a part of a race that is hated. In a route to the well, just imagine. She um she sees somebody. Somebody's sitting there, you know, remember she's trying to go there and, and not have any encounter, no engagement. But there's this, this person sitting there. Should she turn back? Should she come another time? No, she needs this water. So she gets closer. Oh, no. It's a Jew. You know, her people don't like their people. And their people don't like hers. So she just envisioned this is going to be a really nasty encounter. She figures that she can go there, don't acknowledge him, draw the water. She can quickly return home. Well, you knew that if you read the story, you know that's not the case. The Samaritan woman had an encounter with Jesus. And I just want us to take a look at Jesus' encounter as a model of ending racism and providing a healing way, a, he- a way of healing and wholeness. We know that Jesus intentionally left this safe path to go to a hostile place. His intent was to meet a need. He intentionally waited for the opportunity to engage the Samaritan woman. You know, he asked her for help. Imagine going into a community and asking for help instead of assuming that you have something for them. He did not get offended by her attitude towards him, because you know she got a little huffy, right? And he listened to her concerns and her, and her, skeptic, and her skepticism about his motives and offerings. So don't think that everybody trusts you just because of who you are. He offered to give her a different way to meet her needs. Imagine that. Understanding there's a need, understanding there's a struggle, and that you might have a a way, a method, for someone to be able to get that need met. And he wasn't judgmental. He offered her hope. And as a result, the encounter, that relationship, began a healing process a way of reconciliation. And guess what? She invited others in her community to have the same experience. It's very clear that I had Jesus encounters all along my way. You see, relationships inspired by love can change the trajectory of one's life, one's community, and one's world. The white teachers who saw something in me in middle school encouraged me to go to the college prep program. The advisor who reached out to me in college when I was struggling encouraged me to continue to do the good work that God has began in me 
when I felt like I just didn't belong there. The mentors of various different races have walked alongside me in my journey to bring freedom, justice, and healing to the oppressed community. God uses each one, God used each one of them to, to provide his gift of relationship, love, hope, and healing. Multiply those healing relationships one-on-one and corporately in institutions, we can end racism. The second scripture read was Luke 10, 25, 26. We were told to love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your mind, and to love your neighbor as yourself. Love is amazing. It is a person, it is a gift, and it is an action. If you are a believer, you have received the gift of God in you through the Holy Spirit. Therefore, love is already in you. In God's, in God's word, we read that he demands freedom, that we seek freedom, justice, equality, and peace for all his people. And we're required to, when we're required to do that, each one of us have been equipped with love. The gift, equipped with to love, the gift of love to give women, I'm sorry, and equipped to love, give the gift of love, and to put love into action by meeting others' needs. Every one of us is called to be a good Samaritan. I think I would like to change that to a healed Samaritan for whatever our lot may be. These are in, I'm sorry, there are needs out there, and each one of you have been called to meet that need. You're called to stop. You're called to learn, to seek God and how you're to meet it, and then to be able to follow up to make sure that you've done all that you can do to be able to address the need in the well-being of others. Remember, the Lord said, what you do to the least of these, you do to me. Choose love. Work to end racism. To God be the glory and thank you.